We'll sing one more song in just a moment. Uh, tonight we have the privilege of hearing from Brandon Byers. Now, you all know Brandon. He's been a member here for a few years. Uh, because of the faithful giving, the sacrificial, generous giving of, of our church family, and because of uh, the approved budget of our church, our church is able to invest funds in raising up men. And so we are so grateful that our church has prioritized this, and we as a church want to continue to prioritize this, to, to disciple and raise up leaders, leaders in the home, leaders in society, and especially leaders in the church. And so Brandon this week is finishing his summer internship. It was a quick one, six weeks, uh, in coordination with uh, his college degree requirements. But it's been just a joy to have Brandon. And because of your all's generosity, we've been able to to pay him some so that he doesn't have to work full-time, but instead he's been around for a couple days each week, and we've just interacted with him. He's been reading some books. We've had discussions on what he's read, and then he's prepared a lesson to share with us this evening. So he'll come after we sing, and we're excited to hear Brandon from you tonight. So thank you. All right, Andrew. So I'm going to have you open to the book of Esther. Uh, chapter 6 and 7 is what we're going to be reading later on. Um, but first, while you're turning there, I have a couple of fun facts about the book of Esther. Uh, the book of Esther is the only book in the Bible where God is not mentioned, not even once. So there's a moment where it seems like he's going to be mentioned, but he's not when they go to fast for Queen Esther. The second fact is um, at the Qumran caves uh, back in the 40s, I think, when they discovered them, the book of Esther was the only thing in the Old Testament and even in the Apocrypha, to not be found there. Uh, there's plenty of good reasons. There were a lot of manuscripts that were mostly destroyed. Um, but that brought up a lot of thoughts back in the day. Um, but yeah, the only book in the Bible to not mention God and the only one to not be found in the Qumran Caves. I just found that interesting. Uh, so the book of Esther, a lot of us are familiar with it. Um, a couple years ago now, the homeschool group I was involved with that you guys know, Faith, with the help of the Academy of Arts, put on a performance of it. Um, so since, since we're going to be in chapters 6 and 7, which is kind of towards the end, I'm going to catch you up a little bit. So I hope you can bear with me with this. Um, I wrote a little bit of an extended intro that will kind of bring us right up to where we're supposed to be. So imagine with me uh, that you're a Hebrew who lives in the Persian Empire. You don't remember being taken captive because you weren't there when your people were stolen by the Assyrians. You weren't there when Cyrus the Great, the king of kings, founder of the great Achaemenid dynasty, liberated your people and allowed them to return to the land of your people, to the land of Yahweh. Now that name is supposed to mean something to you, but you've lived in Persia for so long that you don't really think about the God of your ancestors. You only really think about your ancestral God when your grandparents get excited about feast days that you've all but forgotten about. You don't really care that much because you've lived your whole life under the Persian Empire. As far as you're concerned, your God has failed you. You're in Persia now. You're not in Israel anymore. As far as you're concerned, uh, the great God Ahura Mazda, the God of the king himself, is the only one that really matters. You put your you put your eight hours in at the workday, and you just go home and live your life. How could the great deliverer, the God who brought you out of Egypt, and the God who brought Egypt to his knees, allow you to be enslaved yet again? 
That's all you can really think about whenever you think about where you came from. But you're still thankful that the people of yours who went home got to. It's a pretty big deal. You actually have some great uncles, you think, that went back. And not to mention the fact that you're under the greatest king that the world had ever seen. His name is Achshiwarshu, the king of all men and the hero among kings. To the Greeks, he's known as Xerxes, the man who literally beat the waters into submission when he used the boats of his navy to build a bridge across the Hellespont Divide to take Thrace for himself. To you and your people, he's known as Ahashverosh, the man who allowed you into his palace to feast and drink to your heart's content. Surely not even David was this kind. Then one day, after the feast, the king's anger rose against the queen because she refused to be seen before him. That's when you kind of see the cracks begin in his facade. You start realizing that maybe this king isn't as good as he thought, and that maybe this kingdom isn't as great as he thought either. Somehow, the queen had defied the king of men and the hero among kings. The king then decrees in a very petty way that every Persian man should be the master of his own house and whatever he says that his family has to do. So you see that the king is a bit of a hothead and you start to see that you don't really care for him too much. And one day he does something that you really can't get behind. He calls for all the beautiful young women to be brought before him so that he can choose for himself a new queen. And you, f you find this repulsive. How could he do this? And it hits you close to home because your friend down the road is taken as well. She's taken to be in his courts. And as a matter of fact, there's a man down the road from you named Mordecai. And his adopted daughter was taken as well. Her name is Hadassah, but as of now, she's going by Esther. As you wait in breathless, breathless expectation to find out who the king chooses to be your new queen, you hear that it's Hadassah who just so happened to be chosen queen of all Persia. And this, is, this piques some interest in you because she's a Jewish queen in a Persian empire. Uh, this, this could be great for you and your people to have a Jewish queen. After yet another enormous feast and tax halts, you kind of just sink back into your normal routine. The fact that Esther is queen of the empire and that there's even a new queen and all this nonsense that happened to get there just kind of fades into your memory. And it's not long after that that you see this guy, his name's Haman. He's being paraded around the kingdom. Now, when you see Haman, you practically gag at the sight of him because he's a descendant of King Agag. King Agag is a man whom Saul failed to execute, the man who had cut babies out of the stomachs of women, a very evil man. And to see him being paraded so soon after a Jewish queen being crowned makes you sick. And from the muttering in the crowds, you hear that Haman had saved the life of the king. He had made the king aware that some of his most trusted advisors were planning to murder him. And it leaves a bitter, a bitter taste in your mouth to bow before Haman, but everybody else is doing it, so you you do it as well, out of fear for what might be done to you. But as he walks past, you see Mordecai, the guy from down the road whose daughter was taken, refusing to bow, to bow before Haman. The king's men who were leading the parade questioned Mordecai as to why he wouldn't bow. And you could see it in Haman's face. 
You see your wrath that almost rivals the king's the night the queen refused to be seen before him. You don't know it yet, but it was actually Mordecai who saved the life of the king. He had just so happened to overhear the assassination plan by the king's advisors. He had just so happened to be in the right place. Unknown to you or anyone else, Haman began to conspire against Mordecai. Haman's hatred for Mordecai was more than just a hatred for him, but it was a hatred for you and all of your people. Because one person refused to bow down before him, he was seeking to kill all of your people. So Haman went before the king on the 13th day of the 12th month so that he could say to the king his request. And that request was that on that day, the next year, all the Jewish people were to be destroyed because he had got it in the king's ear that they were subversive and that they were evil. And miraculously, Mordecai had just so happened to find out about this plot as well. And he pleaded with Esther, the queen, to plead with the king about the incoming genocide of your people. So the queen calls for you and for all your people to fast for her so that she can go before the, queen, uh, before the king. And after the fast was concluded, Esther went before the king unrequested, which was incredibly dangerous for her. To show up before the king unrequested could be a death sentence. But the king just so happened to be in a good mood that day. And he was delighted to see his beloved queen. Instead of telling the king straight out about the plot to have her and the rest of your people eradicated, she decided to throw a feast for the king and for Haman. And during the feast, because the king perhaps had a little bit too much of the royal wine, decided that he would give Esther anything that she wanted, up to half the kingdom. And her request was that a second feast be thrown, and that Haman would be there as well. And the king and Haman were happy to oblige her in her request. And after the feast, Haman walked past Mordecai on the way back to his home. And when Mordecai didn't tremble before him, Haman's rage grew against him and conspired with his wife. He angrily recounted to his wife that all the riches were worthless to him as long as Mordecai was still alive. So they had planned to build a gallows, or as some, might, some people believe, it was a giant spike for Mordecai to be killed upon. But that, ni- but that night, the king just so happened to be having a horrible time trying to sleep. And that is where we're going to just start reading from the story in the Bible. The book of Esther, chapter 6. On that night, the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, that they were to be read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the the king's eunuchs who had guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on the king. And the king said, What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just... Oops, sorry. Now Haman had just entered the court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on these gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there, standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, 
what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. And Haman said to him, whom would the king delight, said to himself, whom would the king like to delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head the royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to the one of the king's noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. The king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes, and take the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai, the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Leave nothing out that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and dressed Mordecai, and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gates, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but you will surely fall before him. So after everything that I had have said to catch you up to the story, you see how this story already is kind of building to a way that is a, a good ending for the Jewish people. We can already see the silent hand of God working in the events. If you'd noticed, there were a few times where I had said, just so happened about all these events. And that's kind of how you have to read the book of Esther. Again, because since God is never mentioned, you, as people looking into the story from the, from the future, and being able to know the character of God. We see all these, all these broken people who are doing broken things, but we see our God working through them to accomplish his will. And here, you can, you can almost see the comedy of the story, really. Uh, Haman is really happy with himself. He's going to kill his archenemy, who he decided was his archenemy, just because he didn't like the guy. And the king uh, just found out that it was Mordecai who'd saved his life. And Haman's saying to himself, oh, surely it's me who the king delights to honor. So I'm going to throw myself the best party I've ever had at the king's expense. And you, you almost hear the record scratch when King Ahasuerus says, do this to Mordecai. And um, it's just amazing to see how uh, even in the plans of the, of the enemy, God works through that as well. Uh, the story of Esther is a familiar one to us, and a lot of you know the story very well. And again, like I've said before, the most interesting fact about the book of Esther is how God is never mentioned. And that's kind of how it can work in our own lives a lot of the times. Um, hindsight is twenty twenty, and we can often look to the past to see where God directed us. But when we're in the moment, we don't often know that God is working in our life. We just kind of do what we do, and bad things happen to us, and good things happen to us, and it's in those moments when God is working, as well as the mundane ones. God is at work, whether we know it or not. Through our lives, we may not see this, but it's happening. Psalm 33.10 tells us that Yahweh nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the thoughts of the peoples. The counsel of Yahweh stands forever. The thoughts of his heart from generation to generation. 
So as we see here, what happened with Haman, um, as Psalm said, Yahweh nullifies the counsel of the nations and he frustrates the thoughts of the peoples. Um, And it's not only just for bad people who do bad things. Sometimes it's for good people who do good things where God says, I'm actually not going to have you do that. And it's for our own good. It's like when, uh, when Paul was unable to go further in his missionary journeys. Even in the middle of the plans of wicked men, and even our plans, our God stands in sovereign control. And we can think of a few people through, uh, in our lives, I'm sure, but in the Bible as well, who this applies to. Uh, we see Moses murder an Egyptian, which is a bad thing. I think we can all agree it was a bad thing that Moses did that. Uh, but because of that, he fled Egypt, and he went into the wilderness And through a series of events, that's where he comes face-to-face with the great I Am. And through him, his people were delivered from Egypt. Through Joseph and his enslavement uh, before Moses, um, his brothers had trapped him in a pit. They were going to kill him, decided killing him is probably a bad idea, so we'll sell him into slavery, which sounds worse to me, in my opinion. Um... And they convinced their dad that he was ripped apart by an animal. So not only did they sell their brother into slavery, but they've broken the heart of their father, the man who loved them more than anybody else. But because of Joseph being sold into slavery, the people of God were saved from a famine, and the people of Egypt were saved from a famine. Because he frustrates the thoughts of the peoples. We we see it in David when he's fleeing from Saul. Through all that... God was training him and making him ready to lead Israel, and it caused him to gain favor with the Israelites, and it caused him to know God more. But we see it most in the innocent Christ who is slain by the Romans for our sins. The man who had committed no crimes, who had committed no sins, was murdered for us. And we are very thankful for that, but we can see that that was a bad thing. It was an unjust thing that happened to Christ. But in that injustice, we found true justice through the penalty of Christ's death for our sins. Through the story of the Bible, it is often clear to us that God is at work. When we read the Psalms, it's constant. The name of God is being said. We see poetry and stories of how God is blessing and taking away. We see it in the life of Job, where God comes down and directly talks with Job. We see it all throughout the prophets, where the prophets bring a specific word from God, and it is clear that God is speaking to his people. And we see it through the story of Esther, when we get a hint of the just-so-happens of life. God doesn't always make it clear to us when he is working in our lives. We don't get what Job got, where God directly steps into his life and says, hey, this is actually what I was planning, and this is actually what I'm doing. It often looks like us just doing everyday things that God uses to complete his redemptive plan. And God is at work through the simple actions that are in accordance with his will. Although we may not be facing the the eradication of our people, like Esther and Mordecai and the rest of the Jews, we need to have that same courage that they had. We need to be able to go out on a limb and speak the truth in a hostile environment. Esther didn't know if the king was going to have her put to death or not. Um, But she was willing to speak the truth to save lives. 
And it's the same way when we speak the gospel. When we get rejected for uh, preaching the gospel and speaking to it to people we don't know, it can often hurt and it's embarrassing. But if Esther had kept her mouth shut because she could have died, then everybody she ever knew and loved would have died as well. So when we keep our mouth shut and are afraid of the person that we're preaching the gospel to, we're, we're basically saying that we're okay with them not knowing Christ, and we're okaying with them going into punishment when they die. And that's not how we should be when we preach the gospel to those we don't know. We need to be able to be willing to go on a limb. And what's the worst that could happen? They say, no, thank you. I mean, really, like, we're not really in that much danger here when we preach the gospel. We need to be willing to be able to do that. And we need to be able to do it similarly to how Mordecai went before Esther. Like, he didn't know if the king was going to listen. He didn't know these things. But Mordecai and Esther are very good examples of what it's like to risk yourself for the sake of others. And I think it's pretty clear that Christ is the ultimate example of laying down his life for the sake of sinners. We may not be a community of Jewish people living in exile, but we are a community of Christians who are living in exile in a fallen world. Like Esther and Mordecai and the rest of the Jewish people living in the Persian Empire, we are not living in our true home. Esther and her people were sojourners in a foreign land. Although Esther became the queen of Persia, she was still never really a Persian in the sense of ethnicity and personhood. She was a Jewish woman outside of the promised land of her people. Likewise, we are citizens of another kingdom as well. We may be Americans, but we are truly citizens of the kingdom of Christ. We may have submitted ourselves to this world that we live in, and that's a good thing. Uh, We live here, so we should seek the good of where we live. But ultimately, we have submitted ourselves to the king of the world that we are temporarily in. Because of our dual citizenship, we have the obligation to speak the truth even if the whole world is against us. And as Christians, that specifically means to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and to tell the world that they must be joined to him to be truly saved. And that's not super hard for us in our country. We have a lot of brothers and sisters who doing that could get them killed. They might be a little more uh, like Esther in that way, where going before the king could have had her killed. We have brothers and sisters who are truly willing to die for their faith. And I pray that we are as well. The gospel tells us that we are all fallen sinners. So just like the sinner that we preach to is, we once were. And if nobody had told us of that reality, we would still be dead. We were enemies of God. But God, the Son, came to earth. He lived the perfect life that none of us had to, which is something that we should forever be extremely thankful for. The fact that we get to live a life where Christ's righteousness is credited to us because of his sacrifice is beyond amazing. We get to live in a world where we can share this truth as well. This isn't something that should be kept in 
this is something that should be proclaimed. Like Esther, she could have kept it to herself, or Mordecai could have kept it to himself. But they heard the truth, and they knew the danger of this reality. And because of their love for the rest of the people that they knew, they risked their lives for them. Likewise, we should be able to risk a little bit of embarrassment for the, for the eternal life of others. We are benefactors of this eternal life. And although it's not a complete one-to-one, uh, we see in the book of Esther, in chapters 7 and 8, that the enemies of God are defeated. And when an enemy of God is defeated with the gospel, uh, that usually means they're no longer an enemy of God. So I recommend that you read uh, the, the whole book of Esther. Um, it, it's, it's a great read. I've, I've had a lot of fun being in it the past couple of weeks preparing for this. Um, but you see truly that through the just-so-happens of life, everything where people are in the right place at the right time, and it seems like a coincidence. It's actually God working through those moments to be there for those people. We see in chapter 7 that Haman is hanged on the very same gallows that Mordecai was supposed to. Um, and there's a huge irony in that. Uh, and again, this, this part of the book of Esther is my favorite part because you see all the culmination of every just-so-happened come together and this, even though God is not mentioned, chapters 6, 7, 8, and 9 are where he is most evident. You see as the plans of the wicked Haman crumble around him. Like as Psalm 33 says, God nullifies the thoughts of the peoples. He frustrates them. Every plan that we might make, every plan that our enemies might make, ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, must first be strained through the sovereign hands of our Lord. And that's a, that's a comfort to me, and I hope that's a comfort to you as well, that everything that happens to you, whether it be good or whether it be bad, was first strained through God's hands. It's, um, even though it's a painful thought, I see God working through the death of my parents. It was very sudden, very unexpected, but God had already prepared uh, my wife for me to be there for me. And two of my friends, they were, all, they were willing to move in with me. And they helped me. And through the pain, God prepared me and grew me and sent me to school. And because of his work in my life, whether it was painful work or it was pruning me, or whether it's watering me so that I may grow. Both of them are for growth and for health. The pain and the rejoicing are both part of God's plan. So, in conclusion, I'm sorry if I went a little short. I, I wrote a lot, but I talked kind of fast. So, um, in conclusion, God, again, does not always make it clear when he's working in our lives. We don't always get what Job got. But what we do get is the promise of Christ's return 
and the gospel that prepares us for it. So through this week, uh, I charge you to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, whether that be with a coworker who you know but have never really talked to, or even if it's just in casual conversation with those people, whether it's talking to somebody who you don't know at all at a restaurant or in the street. Um, Be like Esther and be like Mordecai and put your neck on the line and risk a little bit of embarrassment if you need to. But I charge that you preach the gospel that saved you because if nobody had preached it to you, you wouldn't be saved. So go into the week with the blessing of God and tell of his goodness to all the people. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, we thank you for bringing us tonight together. Uh, We pray for VBS this week as we go into this week. I pray that you would use VBS to bring many to you, that you would draw the people who will be hearing the word to you. We pray for all the teachers and helpers and for Tim as they get ready to have a, a good week and a tiring week and a week full of work. I pray that you will strengthen them and all of us who are willing to help to be able to um, have endurance in this. And we pray for those who won't be able to uh, physically help. We pray that um, they will, that VBS will be on their minds, that you will remind them, that you will bring it to mind for them, that they will pray for us as well. Lord, we pray again for Pastor Ross as he's going out west. We pray that through this conference and through these meetings that you will be glorified in the GARBC. Uh, we pray that you will continue to draw all of us together in our church and in our association. And Lord, I pray that as we go out, you will be with us and that we will preach your gospel to those who do not know you yet. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.